Friends, our second lesson comes this morning from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's lovely to return after a nice long break. And so my sermon today is Love God, Love people, the end. (laughs) Love God, love people, the end. There's obviously a lot more that we can say about this particular text, but at the end of the day, I want to be clear that this is really what Paul is up to in this letter to the Colossians. Love God, love people, the end. But here's kind of what I want to explore with us today for a little bit. Because the real trick is that it's not always easy to love God, love people, the end, right? If that was something easy, we'd be living in a completely different culture, a completely different world. It's not easy. It's our call. But it's challenging. It's hard. It's all-encompassing. In fact, it's one of the hardest things that we will ever try to do in our lives is to love God, love people, the end. There's no clear recipe. There's no clear checklist. I wish that there was, but there's not. But there is, here in this letter, at the very end, This little invitation that Paul gives us, this little invitation to live in this particular way. And I want to kind of draw this large backdrop of what we've been seeing in this letter to the Colossians to just kind of help us get that picture of where we're going towards the very end of this text. Remember that Paul spends this entire letter helping people understand that it's not just about believing in Christ. Believing, actually, for Paul, is not at the end of the day the goal. Now, I know that that's complex for some of us that grew up in this Reformed tradition where, in fact, it's all about belief. But what Paul is really trying to help us understand is that it's about living in Christ. Living, actually, into this reality. Not just about principles, not just about teaching, 
but living in a way that firmly is embodied in this anchoring in the spirit. Living in such a way that our lives are anchored in the spirit of God and anchored in the spirit of the one who has chosen the universe from before the foundation of the world in love. You see, that's our whole reality. That's our whole reality. And that's what Paul is wanting his Colossian friends to understand. He wants them to see that the invitation of being Christian is actually to live in Christ. To live in Christ. And it's much less, strangely enough, about what we say, and it's more about what we do. How we find our actual identity, how we find ourselves grounded in our everyday life by being anchored in the spirit of the one who has loved us since before the world began. This is the wild journey of being a Christian. And this is why there's not one route for those who embark upon this journey. Because the invitation is to be anchored in that spirit of the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul gets to the end of this letter, he's kind of offering some suggestions some guideposts, we might say, about how one might be able to engage in this invitation. If you were to take up his invitation, which was to live as a person who's anchored in the spirit of Christ, how might you do that? And so when he gets to the end of the letter, he's offering some ideas. Here are some things that you might consider doing. He's throwing out some marks on the page about what it might look like to be Christian. He's not saying, do this or else, okay? That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, let's assume that we're all anchored in this person of Jesus Christ, and here are some things that we might do if that were the case. And so I want to just kind of roll out some of the things that he's talking about here. In these first three verses, what he rolls out is this idea that we are anchored in our relationship with God. That we're anchored in our relationship with God. And I want to talk a little bit about that, just for a bit. The text that you have before you says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in thanksgiving. Now this word devote... It can be a challenging word in the way that we currently understand it. It's really a working word. It's a word that has to do with practice. It's less about doing things um, sort of from the perspective of piety, and it's more about continuing to do things over a very long road. Okay? So if you can imagine one taking up a journey... And a journey that takes a really long time. That's the word for devote. It's sort of this word that means hang in there for the long haul. And you can kind of get a picture of this because it's actually the same word that's used when the disciples are in the upper room. Remember after Jesus 
was crucified and they all had to hang out together and it was before the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's at the very beginning of Acts and they're in that room together and it says they spent all that time together waiting. That's the same word that Paul is using here for devote. It has to do with hanging in there together over a very long haul, right? So when he's talking about devoting yourselves to prayer, it's not that Paul is saying there's sort of some magic piety that you can use and and that will make your prayer life magical and, and robust and strong. Instead, what Paul is saying is that prayer life is about hanging in there over the long haul, right? Bringing all of the bad things, the challenging things, the hard things. And that's how we hang in there with prayer. We hang in there by being honest with our very hard things. Wow, we just had a rough family argument. Lord, help us. It's not going to change everything, but that's what it means to hang in there with prayer, to keep that posture of being open in our relationship with God in every situation that we're in. And that's the encouragement that Paul is giving to his Colossian friends. He's saying, hang in there, stick with it. Keep putting one foot in front of the other with your relationship with God. And then he connects it to something else, to a different idea. He connects it to this idea of gratitude. And I think sometimes in our culture, it seems like gratitude is sort of the luck of the draw, right? Some people get it and some people don't. Some people are in a situation where we assume that they have a lot to be grateful for, and other people are in a situation where maybe we assume that they don't. Or maybe we think it's easier for this person than it is for this person. But Paul says gratitude isn't related to those things at all, at least not when we're firmly anchored in this position of our identity being in Christ. He says that we have to look for gratitude. And that's the word that he uses. He says, be watchful. And it's actually the same word that was used when people were talking about keeping watch in the night. If you think about how they had to protect their cities, and they needed somebody to actually stand and look out and make sure that there was nothing else coming in, no invasions. That's the word. Keep watch for gratitude. It's kind of a vigilant word. It's almost, in a way, a military word. But not in the sense that it promotes violence, in the sense that it promotes a sort of a vigorous watchfulness. You need to practice this even when you're not in the mood for it, even when it's not something that you want to look for, that is how you begin to continue to cultivate your relationship with God is by practicing gratitude, by looking out for it. And gratitude is a funny thing. Gratitude is a funny thing because it's all related to our own particular posture, right? I mean, on the day when I had to um, go to the emergency room on that Saturday night because of that severe back throwout that I had, um, I was so grateful that I had somebody that I could call who could be here the next day, right? Who had contacted me and said, I've already prepared a sermon. I can be there for you. That's a funny way of having gratitude, of practicing it. 
But that's kind of the way that gratitude works. It's a vigilant perspective that takes one's own context into a situation and looks for the ways that we can actually be thankful. And and as we grow that muscle, that muscle continues to be easier and easier to find. And as we live in a world that just continues to seem like things are falling apart at the seams, or that maybe we don't know what the future holds for our children, being a grateful people does not mean that we turn a blind eye to those things that are going on around us. It doesn't mean that we pretend that those things aren't there, but we firmly decide to posture ourselves from a perspective of gratitude, because you know what that does? It opens us up to the world so that we can actually serve, right? It doesn't close us down, it actually opens us. So this commitment to the inner life is something that Paul is firmly fixed on. He really wants us, as he gets to the end of this letter, to pay attention to our inner life, not to miss out on it, that we are invited into this relationship with God, all of us, and that we can continue to figure out how to practice that regardless of our circumstance. And then Paul goes into this other situation, the next few verses, where he talks about loving people. Loving people. And this is how he says it. He says, walk with wisdom when it comes to those on the outside. And buy up all the time with them. That's my translation of what he's talking about here. He says, make the most of the time. But the text is actually a marketplace text. And I don't know if any of you have been to Northgate lately. Raise your hand. If you've been to Northgate. And you know how, I don't know if you fell for this. I did. So, you know, they had the big sign that said that everything was 70% off at Macy's, but actually the small print said some things were 70% off. And so I was with Nicola. I thought, let's go to Macy's. We're going to find some new clothes for school, blah, blah. Of course, all the clothes that she wants are not 70% off. So I was like, forget it. Let's get out of here. But the idea is the same idea that Paul is talking about here because what he's saying is that idea of when there's a deal in the marketplace, go there and gather it all up, right? Gather it all up. But he's changing it so that it's not about things, it's about relationships. And Paul does this all the time. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard to read him is because he's using metaphors from the culture. It's almost like he's this colloquial pastor who's kind of always grabbing metaphors that are from different people's contexts. And so you can imagine if he was in Seattle, he would go, the way that things are happening at Northgate, how everyone's getting every deal that they can out of there, that's how you should be in your relationships. Go out there and get everything you can. When you see those people that are around you, that maybe you don't connect with, those are the ones that you should be investing in, like there's a special deal to hang out with, right? It's kind of a mixed metaphor, but that's kind of what he's talking about here. He wants this church in Colossus to know that they can interact and spend time with the people around them. They're not to be isolated. 
but they're to be engaged. And then this next amazing verse that says, let your speech always be gracious, always, always, always at every time. And it's an extra always, always, he says. And let it be seasoned with salt. So he's using another metaphor there. He's just grabbing metaphors from all sorts of different places within the culture. Seasoned with salt, answering everyone so that you might know how to answer everyone. Now, these are two ideas that I want to suggest have been sort of lost to us. Um, And I want to unpack them just a little bit so that we can kind of reflect on what he's talking about here. Has anybody here ever fermented foods? Have Have you made sauerkraut? Have you eaten sauerkraut? Have you eaten sauerkraut that maybe your parents made? Do you remember the smell of making sauerkraut? My mother-in-law, her father is from Germany, and she always talked about how she can't eat sauerkraut because she grew up with the smell of it all over her kitchen, right? Because the way that people learned how to prepare their foods was to add salt. Now, how much salt do you add when you're fermenting? There's no recipe, Right? I mean, there is. You can like, look it up online and there's a recipe. But when you talk to people who did it their whole lives, there's no recipe. You look at it. You shred the cabbage or whatever. It doesn't have to be cabbage. It could be something else. You shred it. You look at it. You add the salt. You put more vegetables down. Add the salt. Put more vegetables down. Add the salt. Right? And it becomes this art of how it is that you season the food. And that's the idea that Paul is accessing here. He's saying, let your words be seasoned with salt. That doesn't mean salty, like they should hurt somebody. It means that they should be artfully prepared with this skill of being able to enter into something so that what? So that it can be preserved. So that it can last. So that it can become changed. You know, if you start out, I I just, you know, do a YouTube on sauerkraut or something like that. It's really fascinating. I've made it lots of times, and it's so interesting to see how it changes, right? It starts out as this really intense, crunchy cabbage, and then by the end of a few days, you actually have this sort of mellowed vegetable that's not soggy. It's still actually very crisp. It's intact, but it's been changed, It's actually been improved. And that's what the process of seasoning with salt can do. It can actually improve something. Not by changing it, by turning it into something else, but by working with its very structure to improve something. And Paul is inviting us into that art form. Learn how to come alongside others to improve them. Don't change them, but how can you augment who they are? so that they can be preserved, so that they can last. And lastly, this one thing where he says that we might know how to answer everyone. You know, answer is a really wonderful word in Greek. It's not a very great word in English. In our way of understanding answer, we think of it as the answer to a problem, right? So there's one answer. And if our high school students, or we do have some high school students in here today, but our middle school students or high school students were here, they would help us to know that answer can actually create a lot of anxiety because you're always worried, am I going to get the right answer, right? 
And that's sort of a function of the way that we practice education. But were you to look back at the way that answer was understood in Greek, it was actually something different. It had to do more with the Socratic method of reasoning something out. So the word answer actually is the same sort of word as to go on a journey, to reason something out together. Not to declare a solution, but to actually come together to find a new answer based on these two folks who have come into conversation. To know how to answer somebody in the first century is to know how to enter into conversation with them. To know how to enter into conversation with them. So friends, how do we enter into conversation with those around us? How do we enter into conversation with those who maybe see things differently than we do? How do we enter into conversation with those with whom maybe we have, it seems, nothing in common with? This is the challenge that Paul is giving his first century church. Find your entryways into these new conversations and reason it out together. I want to close with um, something that I had the chance to be a part of while I was away. Uh, And I had a great privilege of um, joining together in a workshop with um, the former director of the Coromila community in um, Northern Ireland. He's now the poet in residence, or he was the poet in residence for Coromila, and he's now... Um, a freelance poet. Uh, his name is Padre Gotuma. Uh, and I had the chance to spend a week with him, uh, which was really fantastic and amazing. And one of the things that Padre uh, taught me over the course of that week was how important it is to find words that expand our insides. How can we find words that don't close us up but that actually open us. And that's the invitation that Paul is giving his church. That's the invitation that Padraig gave me in the week that I had the chance to spend with him. And I want to offer that invitation to you. So I'm going to close with a poem that he wrote for the particular convening that I was a part of. And this was his blessing as we started this week together. It went like this. Maker of light and night, of bleach and dark berries, closer of wounds and doors, inventor of the scale of the snake and the tongue, shaper of the pencil and the scimitar, you whose words burn as we burn for you. We burn for you and for other things too, death and deliverance, Words made new and unimagined, new names for old things and old things that can be reborn among us. You learned languages from peoples you imagined, peoples whose tongues were then torn from them. So we turned to you in ribboned language. Make us many-tongued so that we can speak of things hidden and exposed all around us. 
Look at us, these children of chance and primal urges gathered in by you, parentless one who learned about the living by living through our story. Bless us, by which we mean hurt us, sort of. Show us us. Show us what it means to birth a universe beginning with an orphan word enfleshed among us. Language can expand us. It can connect us. And that is our invitation. Let us pray. Gracious God, the word who spoke before the beginning in love. Not just in our language, but in every language. Open us up to you in all parts of our lives, in everything that we do, so that we may know how to interact with others, to be seasoned with salt, to know how to answer, by which we mean journey together. By your spirit we ask. Amen. Friends, let us stand.